everybody. Hey, let's, let's take a second. Let's give it up for all of our friends and family who are online locally and around the world. What is up, everybody? Come on, let's welcome everybody in today. So glad you're with us. Um, hey, guys, if y'all can believe it, we're already at the last series of the year. Like, this is the last series of the year. Now, here's the deal. I know every single one of us wants to get as far away from 2020 as we can, and every year that goes by, we rejoice a little bit more. Um, but I felt like God's saying, hey, don't throw the towel in on this one yet, because God, God's not done with us yet. There's a little bit more that God wants to give us before we move into next year. And uh, if y'all been tracking with us as we've gone throughout the year, uh, then you know that we started out the beginning of this year saying we were going to spend this year on getting healthy inside so that next year we could explode outside, right? So we we're gonna let our light shine, let others see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, partner with the Holy Spirit, turn the world upside down. Come on, Jesus. It's, I'm just telling you, you ain't ready. You ain't ready, but you're gonna be ready because of what we're talking about. That's why we've been tackling these things. And how can I say this? Because I believe that you were made for something great. I really do believe that with every fiber of my being, not because you are great, but because our God is great and we are made in his image. We, we are the Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. And what we wanna do is emancipate his greatness in our lives. We wanna get what God put in us, out of us for his glory in the world around us. That, that that's the journey that we're on. And there is, if I can say it like this, there's one more thing that we need to dive into before we head into next year. And this is the most important of them all. And if I can say it like this, we saved the best for last. All right, we saved the best for last. Why? Because as we close out this year, here's what we're diving into. We are diving into the love of God. Come on. The love of God. That's what we're diving into. And, and my deep prayer for us as, as we've headed into just this last little bit of this year it has been specifically for the longest distance in the universe. I have been praying for the 18 inches between our head and our heart because I know this, that there is a radical difference between knowing about the love of God and knowing the love of God. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, but you're about to know what I'm talking about. There is a difference between knowing about the love of God, having heard the love of God, having some scriptures memorized about the love of God, and actually knowing the love of God. And it is my prayer for us today that we would be a people who know the love of God. And this is how Paul prays for us in Ephesians 3, verse 16. He says, I pray from God's glorious unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. And may your roots grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his Love, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. That's one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. May you know the love of God, even though it's beyond knowledge. May you experience the love of God, even though it's too big to ever put your arms around. Because at the very best, we are just people standing on the shore of the ocean trying to drink it in, but we can never get it all. And as we embark on this journey, we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Come on, guys. This is God's prayer for us that we would know the love of God. The Father's love is the most important thing for us to ever pursue in life. Because the Father, listen, for me, the Father's love is the foundation for my life. My life falls apart if it is not for the love of God. Knowing the truth of how the Father feels about me is what gives me strength on my weak days. The love of God is what rescued me out of the miry pit and set my feet upon the rock. The love of God is what rescued me out of my sin and out of my rebellion. The love of God is what pulled me out of the kingdom of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his glory. 
glorious sun. The love of God is what picks me up on my bad days, energizes me on my good days. It what enables me to have grace when others stumble because I've been forgiven much, so I love much. I have empathy for those who are hurting today. Why? Because the love of God has changed my life. We can't just know about it. We have to know it. We have to experience it, even though it's beyond anything that we can ever fully put our arms around. How many of you could tell a thousand stories about how good God is? Come on, where would we be if it wasn't for Jesus? I could, write, I, I could, I could preach a thousand sermons on the love of God and never grow tired of it. Y'all might, but I wouldn't. Y'all be like, I'm, I'm done after three. Like, can we just go? It's Sunday, you know, it's like midnight. Why? Because the love of God is better than anything else. Psalm 63, here's what David says. No, I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. I'm not even gonna go there yet. This is why this matters. Let me, let me say this. This is why this matters. It's because Jimmy Evans says this. Patrick Jimmy Evans says this. We can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. What comes to mind when I say God is the most important part of your life. Why? Because whether we see God as mostly glad or mostly mad or mostly sad will radically alter how we think, how we pray, how we live, what we do when we sin. Because most people, when they sin, they run away from God instead of running towards God. This is the idea, guys. Most of us, when we sin, we say, oh no, I screwed up. I, I need to run away from dad instead of screwing up and saying, oh no, I need to call dad. This is the relationship. This is what the love of God does on the inside of us. It changes how we live and where we go in our weakness. Why? Because we can only draw as close to God as our image of God will allow. So here's the question. What is God's love like? And we can go to a thousand different places in the scriptures, but it's important that we go to the scriptures because we live in a world that has an enemy who wants to narrate who God is. And most of that narration is angry, it's harsh, it's distant, it's dictatorial, right? Like it's God just standing up a million miles away shouting commands at us. But when we go to the scriptures, we see something different. We find, we find God himself. And we see God's love in, in Genesis at creation. We see God's love towards Adam and Eve when they sin and he covers them with the skin of an animal. We see God's love uh, in the Psalms. We see God's love in the prophets like Hosea. You read Hosea recently. Go there, it'll blow your mind about how God loves us even in our rebellion. We see God's love in John three sixteen for God so loved the world, right? But here's what we have to understand is that God's love is not just a theological love to be known about, it's a practical love to also be experienced. It's a love we need to know about and it's a love that we need to experience. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus came as God's love in the flesh to show us what God looks like, what his character is, how God thinks and feels about us, what God's mindset is towards us. And Jesus comes on the scene and one of the things that Jesus loves to do is to tell stories. Okay, and so um, we're gonna dive in here over the next few weeks into one of Jesus's what, what I would just say, one of his most, if not his most famous story, it's actually found its way into culture. These words have found their way into the culture around us. And it's a parable, it's a story that reveals God's love to us. And it's a parable that many would call the parable of the prodigal son. Um, others would actually call it the parable of two lost sons. Some would even call it the parable of the forgiving father. And that's actually important for us, okay? Because here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Over the next four weeks is we're gonna take this one story and we're gonna turn it four times. And we're gonna see four different vantage points from the four different characters in this story. And it's my prayer for us that over these few weeks, we wouldn't just learn more about God's love, but we would actually experience God's love maybe in a way that we never have before. And so we're going to dive into this here in Luke 15. And this is my, here's, what, here's what I would ask of you, okay? Um, in your own Bible reading time, which you have that, right? Yeah, okay. So tomorrow, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just over the next four weeks, just make it a habit to read Luke 15. This is where we're going to be found over the next four weeks is Luke 15. Just, just read it a few times a week. Just, just try and feel God's heart through here. And so the actual verses, the prodigal son begin in verse 11, but we're gonna back up to verse one and we're gonna find the setting of what's actually taking place here. So Luke 15, 
Verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners uh, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, the scandal. All right, this is actually the biggest dirt that they can dig up on Jesus. Jesus loves sinners. Okay, let me just say this, guys. I don't know how you found victory, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. We are not standing at a distance this morning and pointing our fingers out at the sinners. Listen, Jesus loves the broken. Jesus loves the ones who are weary of this world. And Jesus came for them. Right? And so Jesus, here in Luke 15, he begins to tell three stories. So the first story is this. Uh, you may recognize it. He begins to tell the story of a good shepherd who leaves 99 sheep behind to go looking for the one who is lost. His second story is about a woman who's frantically searching for this lost coin. Maybe you're already picking up a theme that there's something that's lost that's being pursued so it could be found. And now Jesus begins unpacking the third story for us. Let's walk through it. Here's where it begins in, in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Um, in case you were wondering, this is as bad as it sounds. This joker is asking for his inheritance while his dad is still alive. Okay, okay. This son is in essence saying, dad, I wish you were already dead, but since you're not, go ahead and give me my stuff and I'll be gone, right? And, and, and what, the, what the son is actually saying is this, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. He's saying, I want, I want the stuff, but I don't want the relationship. Come on, somebody. I want the, father, the, the father's stuff, but I don't want the father. I want the father's blessings, but I don't want the father himself. Okay. And if the original audience, like, listen, this is a Middle Eastern audience. If, if they were shocked at that request, then they were astounded at the father's response. Because a typical Middle Eastern man would have responded with, let's just be honest, violence. Who do you think? You know what I'm saying? Like, like kicking the kid out. You ain't getting inherited. You ain't getting nothing. Like kicking this kid out of the house. Come on, parents. Come on, parents. If you're no good, back talking, freeloading, brat walked up to you this afternoon and said, hey, I wish you were dead. But since you're not, go ahead and act like you're dead and give me all the stuff that's due me. Listen, little Billy ain't getting time out. <laughs> At that point, little, you're taking off your flip flops, taking off your heels, pulling the rings out, taking the wheel off, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's about to get serious, taking your belt off, like it's about to happen. Come on, what, what, would, what would you have gotten at home growing up if you had tried this? Some of you would still be walking crooked. <laughs> See in the lobby, you're 60 years old. You're like, like what's, the, what's wrong going on? I'm like, oh, this is, I was 15, you know? <laughs> but instead of choosing violence, it says, so the father divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. Now, that word property is really important right there. That word property is really important. Now, obviously, we translate that Greek word as property, but that Greek word is actually bios, which is where we get the word biology from. And what it's saying is not necessarily did the father divide his property between them. The father divided his life between them. He divided his biology between them. He this, is the this is the idea, guys. I think many of us, we don't really spend time thinking about how tightly our stuff is tied to our life. Our possessions, our property, our home is tied to our life. And here's the idea, guys. The father had spent his life on this property, on this possessions, on this stuff. And so the inheritance isn't just about property. The inheritance is his life. All right? And so, come on, let's just make it personal. Let's bring it in the house. Pastor Dennis and Colleen spent their lives building this church. They spent their lives building this church and then they handed it over to us, to Summer and I, 
right? This was not just their property. It was, in essence, their life, right? You better believe there was a, um, like, fragile handle with care sticker on this thing when we got it. Why? Because we want to be good stewards over what we've been blessed with. We, we want to do them proud. We, like, we want to do the Lord proud, right? Because we didn't just receive property. We received the work of their lives, but just imagine if, if August 16th, 2020, the founding pastors gave Summer and I the keys, and on August 17th, 2020, Summer and I sold it all. And we pocketed the money, and we went to Fiji. Some of you are like, I will track you down in Fiji. You will pay, mister. <laughs> That's what this kid does. This kid takes his dad's life and liquidates it, puts the money in his pocket, and moves to another land. And this father is experiencing the greatest heartbreak any person ever can. It's rejected love. It's when you give everything you have, gas pedal all the way down, pointed at an individual, and they receive it all, turn their face, and walk away. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. This is the sanitized way of saying that he turned it all the way up. All right, like, like, I mean, whatever, wild, wild living, fill in the blank. This kid went for it. No holds barred, no adult supervision, has all the money in the world with dad not watching anymore. What you gonna do? And he squanders it all. Now, this is so interesting. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in Need. That's so interesting to me because here's the question that begs me. Hey, bro, how are you in need? Where are all those friends that you had when you had money? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When the money is full, the friends are full. But your friends list dramatically shrinks when you no longer have anything to give them. When they can't squeeze anything out of you anymore, you find out who your actual friends are, and this guy had none. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. I don't know if you know about the whole kosher thing. That's not kosher. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Oh, just track with what Jesus is trying to say here. The son lost his inheritance to Gentiles. That's bad. All right. The son is now working for a Gentile. That's really bad. The son is now feeding pigs. That's really, really bad. And not only that, now the son wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. That's really, 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 really bad. Like, like Jesus is trying to paint the picture that this is as bad as it gets, that this kid has hit rock bottom, right? Like how bad does it have to be that you're watching pigs eat and you're like, huh, that doesn't look too bad. Actually, I'd like to have some of that. And then the guy who runs it all said, no, 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 you can't have any of that. And you're like, can I please have some of that? That's how bad it's gotten. <laughs> so when he came to his senses, okay, come on, guys, time out. How many of y'all just need to take a praise break for a second? And thank God that we can come to our senses that there can be a moment when we're like, what in the world am I doing? What have I done? How far have I strayed? And while he's sitting with the pigs, lusting for their food in the middle of the gunk, this light bulb comes on over his head. And he says, ah, how 
many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I know, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, here's the deal. I know some of us look at that and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. No, that's terrible. That's not nearly as good as it looks on first glance. Here's the first clue. Here's the first clue. It's never good to rehearse your repentance. I know what I'll do. This is my speech. Why? Because I'm trying to get something out of my father. If you find yourself rehearsing, like you've got your script worked out for how you're made right with God, you're already messed up. You've done it too much. You've gone over in your head. This is what I say to get what I want from my father, right? And he rehearses it. He tries to get it down. No, I can't say it like that. I gotta say it like this because if he hears that, he's gonna think this, but what I really need him to think is that. And so I'm gonna put it all together. I'm gonna artfully craft my repentance so that I can get something from my father. But I also, I need you to notice what the speech actually says, right? He says, I, I know I'm not worthy to be called your son, But notice he does not offer to be a slave. He offers to be a hired man, a hired hand. Why? What's what's actually going on here? Well, here's the deal. A hired man was somebody who lived in town. A hired man was somebody who had uh, been been discipled, had learned a trade. A, A hired man was somebody who earned a wage. Right, and, and here's the cultural context. The rabbis actually taught at that time is that um, if you had defied the community's rules, if you had broken fellowship at home, then your only way to be restored was to pay it all back. And so the son is working out how he's going to make it right. And he said, here's the deal, dad. I know I can never be your son again because I already ruined that, but if I could at least just come back to town and I can be around the family, and here's my promise to you, Dad, I will pay you back. And this is what we do with God. This is what we do with God, guys. We say, God, I know I've sinned too much. I know I can never be in the family of God again. I I, I know I've just, I've, I've sinned and sinned and sinned, but maybe I could work enough and I could work my way back into God's good graces. And I know I could never be a son or a daughter again, but I know, could I just kind of be in the house? Could I kind of be around everybody? I know you could never love me again, but maybe I could pay you back enough where you'd have to let me into heaven. And we live with, how, here's how I'd say it. We live with a but, instead of a so, two gigantic different words, okay? Um, I am saved by the blood of Jesus, but I have to do good works for God to love me. Instead of, I am saved by the blood of Jesus, so I do good works because God already loves me. There's a huge difference between but and so. Whenever you find yourself in prayer or you're repentant saying but, you need to pause, reshape your theology around a so. Because here's the reality, guys. Our best friend right here is Ephesians 2.8. I'm not even gonna put it up here on the screens because you need to memorize it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift. We couldn't earn it, or else why? We could brag about it. If we could actually pay God, listen guys, I'm gonna gonna punch your theology, allow it to crack a little bit. If we could pay God back, then we would spend the rest of our lives as slaves instead of spending the rest of our lives as sons. If you could pay, and if you could pay God back, then when you did finally pay God back, you could brag about it. I can stand up here, listen, I paid God back, guys. Listen, didn't you know I'm a pastor? I'm a preacher. I'm better than all you guys. I read my Bible more this week than you did. I spoke in tongues more than you all. I've done good deeds more than you all. See, I've earned it all back. You should be like me. No, I could never pay it back. But the good news is there's one who has. He's paid the sin debt. He's restored us, reconciled us, rescued us, redeemed us. And so I don't get any credit. Jesus is the one who gets all the credit. Don't be like me, be like him. That's the whole idea because we could never pay God back, but Jesus did. He satisfied the sin debt, and now we can have free restoration. We can have free relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
He is our mediator. But here's the whole idea, guys. Here's the whole idea. This son did not know the heart of his father because he's like, this is what I have to do to get back right with my father. Listen, 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 listen. This guy grew up in the house but didn't know his father's heart. Listen, listen. Little Billy grew up in church but didn't know who God was. He grew up around the father. He grew up learning about the father. He grew up knowing about the father, but he didn't know the father. Because there's a difference in knowing about the father's love and knowing the father's love. So he got up and he went to his father. Question, what would you expect if you had looked in your parents' face and you had said, I wish you were dead so that I could have my stuff. But since you're not dead yet, won't you just go ahead and give me my stuff? And when they actually did give it to you, you sold it all, took the money, and wasted it. And then you tucked your tail between your legs and you came back home. What would you expect? See, some of y'all grew up with, with this phrase, wait till your daddy get home. The six most feared words in any language across the globe. Why? Because, because mama gonna beat you and then daddy really gonna beat you. And because of that, we end up afraid of dad. Dad's the real one who's gonna punish us, right? But praise God, Jesus says that this father's different. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Why? Because this father is different than any father you've ever known. And here, listen, here's what Jesus is trying to teach us about the Father's love. Let me run through it. Here's the first thing. He's teaching us that the Father's love gives us free will. And I know, like, if you're a super deep theologian, some, some guys, like, struggle with this. Like, free will is a really messy thing, right? Because if you want to know what's wrong with the world, it's us. Like, why is there all this brokenness? Why can't God do something about it? Well, it's kind of a catch-22, like, does God control it and take away our free will, or does God give us free will, and then we mess it all up? Because here's the idea, guys. What we see in this story is the father did not keep the son from leaving, right? Here's what the father did. The father created an amazing home. The father gave the son everything he ever needed. The father gave the son the father's Love, he did his part, but when the son insisted that he leave and go out there and discover it for himself and the grass is greener over there, the father let him go. Why? Because love has to give free will. The lover can't control the beloved or else it's not love anymore. Come on, guys. If a husband controls his wife's every move, that's not love, that's slavery. You can't call that love, right? If God controlled us and made us love him, made us obey him, then we would be robots, right? That's not what love actually is. The greatest act of love is fighting for your beloved, but is not forcing your beloved. For love to work, love has to let there be a choice. And with that is the greatest risk and the greatest reward. Because when love lets the beloved choose, then the beloved can turn around and walk away or the beloved can turn their heart back to the father and come home. And this is why this is important, guys. Listen, we live in a culture that doesn't understand love. 
Our culture says that love always supports me. Come on, that, that love always agrees with me because it's my truth. That's the cultural mantra today. You support me. If you don't support me, if you don't support my truth, then you're not loving me. Because we all know that love is unquestioned, unflinching acceptance and approval of me. You notice there's a common theme here, me. Love is all about me. But God says, I love you, and here's what it looks like for you to love me. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Well, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about me loving God. Like we're talking about God loving me, right? See, guys, here's the deal. We're always worried about, does God love me? Does everybody else love me? But we're never asking the question, do I love God? Do I choose God? And here's the deal. Love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Do I love God with my life? Because if I love God, I will obey his commandments. He's not gonna force you to do it. He gave you free will to reject him or to come home. God gave you, but, but the terms of the relationship, I'm not talking about heaven or hell right now. What I'm talking about is relationship with God. Do you love, are you in the house of God? Do you love God? If so, he says, this is how you love me. Obey my commandments. But we are dragged away by our own desires, right? We, we receive the blessing of God. We shake our fist to heaven. We turn off and we go our own way. And we're thinking that our way leads to life. But here's the reality of our way, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Everybody say a way. There is a way every single one of us is on. Every single one of us is on a way and our way leads to death, but God's way leads to life. And here's what we need to understand, okay? Is when the son goes off on his way, God didn't go anywhere. The father didn't go anywhere, right? The father was like, hey, all right. And here's what happens. Here's what our life looks like, okay? Just, just play it out in your own story. This is what our life looks like. Is we turn our back on God, right? and we walk off to go do our own thing, we wander into the pig slop. We find ourselves in there, we're like all in it, right? And then our whole life falls apart and we sit there in the mess and we're like, oh, woe is me. I'm the victim. God has abandoned me. Oh, woe is me. Where's God? Oh, God, I don't believe in God. God's not good. God's not loving. God has left me. And God's like, wait a second. I didn't go anywhere. You're the one who left. You're the one who wanted to go and taste and see what the world looked like. And you're tasting it and you're seeing it and you're sitting in it. I didn't go anywhere. Listen, you know the way back home. You know where I am. You know how to have a relationship with me. And what a theologian would call it is provenient grace. What it is, it's, it's the soup of grace that we find ourselves in that enables me in my free will to choose to come back home. Because love gives a choice. And you can either take that choice and run away from God where you can take that choice and come home. Here's the second thing that Jesus is teaching us in the story. Here's the second thing. The Father's love is better than anything in the world. <laughs> it's better than, any, hands down. And again, I know, man, if you're outside of faith, if you're not a Christian today, you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've heard, all right? It's because you've never, it's because you've never experienced it. <laughs> it's because you've never experienced it. I, I want you to notice this. Um, the prodigal son decided to return home because he realized it was better back home. And this is where we thank God that we can come to our senses. And here's Psalm 63, Here, here's what David says. He says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Guys, David lived in an actual desert. And so what he's saying is, God, 
I lived in a dry and weary land where there is no water, but I found the oasis. I found the streams in the wilderness, the river in the desert. I found life in the midst of death, and it's God himself. And God, I've nibbled on the, on the sins of this world, but I found out that my soul's feast is in God alone. And what he's saying is this, too many of us are living in the desert of this world and are, we're filling our bellies with sand and we're sitting in the pig slop and we're eating in deep and it's anesthetizing us. We're like a frog in a pot of boiling water where, where the, the sins of this world are making us numb to the fact that our souls are dead. Because we think, well, I have a little bit of money, so it's not that bad. I have a little bit of pleasure, so it's not that bad. And we don't realize that comfort can pacify us straight to hell. Because it's not that bad. It's not, I know I have to run to a different well every once in a while to try and drink something to try and numb the pain of my soul. Why? Because we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. So it must mean that we were meant for a different world with a different kingdom and a different father and a different king sitting on the throne. And here's the truth. Here's what we see in the story. Many times, God's grace takes the form of our lives falling apart. That's called tough love. Come on. Oh, Maury Povich fans in here? Some Montel Williams fans in here? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the kindest thing that God can do is to let you rebelliously go and then to lift his hand from your life so that you will utterly fall and utterly fail so you'll come to your senses and realize it was better back home and come home. What do you think God cares more about, your happiness or your soul? Oh, well, my soul, of course. Well, when you rebel against God and go, and go your way and your life starts falling apart, don't be like, whoa, is me. Because God didn't go anywhere. We reluctantly went our own way. And the kindest thing that God could do is to remove his hand from our life. And guys, I pray, I listen, I pray as a pastor, I pray that it doesn't have to play out like that in your life. I do. I pray you would realize today that every sin and every comfort of this world is like pig slop. You would come to your senses and you would come home. You would come back to the Father, come back to God. I pray that for you. Choose the way of life, spur the way of death, come back to the way of life, come back to Jesus. But I feel like I need to warn you. I feel like I need to warn you because there are some today, I felt like God told me to say this, there are some today who are living in the blessing of family, who are living in the blessing of church, living in the blessing of God, but you still think that it's better out there. All right, and maybe you're a teenager and you just can't wait to leave home because I'm gonna sow my wild oats. I'm gonna go do whatever I wanna do because it's better out there. Some of you, you're a husband, you're a wife and you're already devising your plan because the grass is greener on the other side and you think if I can just divorce my wife, if I can just leave my kids behind, then life will finally be good. And what you do not realize is it's not better out there. What the devil wants to do is take all you have to steal, kill, and destroy it and to spit you out. And I pray that the Lord would lovingly grip your heart today and show you how life is way better at home. That his, his, his love is better than anything in this world. But if you insist on leaving, then I pray that God would actually let you open up your mouth and fill your belly with sand. That he would remove his hand of grace from your life. That you would fall and you would fail and you would realize how there is nothing but death and hell and damnation in this world. And then he, in the midst of your sadness, he would give you the gift of repentance and you would come to your senses and you would come home and you would come home because it's better back home. And I felt like God told me to tell you this too. For the parents out here and for the spouses out here who are in travail of the soul, 
for, your, for your, your lost loved one, if I can say it like that. I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you these two words, take heart, take heart. Because as we see in Jesus's story, nobody is too lost to come home. Nobody is too lost to come home. They can come home, they're not too far gone. Listen, there is no distance too far for the Holy Spirit not to overcome that. There's no drug addiction, no rebellion, no prison sentence, no depression, no atheistic spirit, no lust, no, no, no rebellion, no anger, no hatred. Too big, too great. God's arm is not too short to save. God can rescue, God can redeem, God can save, God can call them home. He can woo them home with the goodness of God here in the land of the living because God's love is better than life. Take heart, take heart. And I believe, I believe this, I believe this. The Lord is saying this. I'll even say this prophetically. I, don't, I barely ever say that that God is sparking something here as we close out this year, where God is gonna begin calling the prodigals home. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. Third thing, the last thing the Father's love teaches us, Jesus teaches us in the story is that the Father's love longs for you. I felt that word so strong, he long, he long, he aches, he aches for you. And uh, in 2017, my family went to uh, Universal Studios down in Orlando. And just a little family vacation, Summer and I, and Jeremiah and Isaac, and uh, Jeremiah was probably like 11, Isaac was probably around seven, somewhere around, somewhere in there. And um, we, if you've ever been there before, we were like back right, like we were back at like the Simpsons ride, you know? And um, Summer was a hard no, like hard pass. Like I'm not doing that because it's a 4D ride. Yeah, if you've ever ridden a 4D ride, then what happened was they actually asked the devil, what are the worst type of ride that we could use to, you know? And they're terrible. They make you so sick. And Summer was out. But Isaac and Jeremiah were both in. And so they're like, let's ride it. So I'm like, okay. And so we get in line. We're like walking into the tunnel, right? And Summer's like, I'll, I'll stay out here. And we're like 10 feet in. And Isaac's like, ah, I don't wanna do it. I'm like, all right, just go back to mom. And so we're in line for probably like 30 minutes. And we ride the ride. It was as bad as I knew it was gonna be. And we get off the ride. We walk out and I see Summer. And I walk up and I'm like, hey, where's Isaac? And she goes, what do you mean, where's Isaac? He's with you. Instant panic. Come on, instant. Seven-year-old boy, tens of thousands of people, 30 minutes. My mind's going a million places. None of them are good, right? So Summer takes off running one way. I take off running the other way. We're like calling his name. We're like running around, panic, sheer terror. Come on, like all the scenarios are playing out in our mind of what, what would happen. And then within a minute or two, I find Isaac. And He's standing right where he got lost. He's like a little sheep. He just stayed right there, right? And that's what we had taught him to do. And so when I see him, I'm like, oh God. And I run up to him, I tackle him, I kiss him. I'm hugging him. I'm like, I'm crying. Summer runs up, she's crying. Like Jeremiah comes in, we do this like family hug in the middle of Universal Studios. Why? Because he was back with the family. I'm crying, so much relief. I buy him the biggest donut I can possibly find because I'm so happy. Summer's so happy. Jeremiah's so happy. Isaac's so happy. Why? Because it's good to be home. And I'm telling you, if you're a parent and you're, if you've ever had a kid deployed, come on, overseas, if you've ever had a kid that lives a long way away, if you've ever had a child that you couldn't find, you realize I've never prayed before this moment. Because you're like, your prayer is a different sort of prayer. Because there's this longing, there's this aching, there's this groaning for them to be home because that's what a good parent does. And Jesus is telling us that this father is different than any father you've ever experienced in your entire life. 
This father right here, he watched, he waited for his son to come home. Come on, somebody personalize it. He watched, he waited for his daughter to come home. The community would have said, hey, if that, if that punk ever dares to come home, then dad, you stand back, you point at the ground, you say, it's time for you to grovel. You can never be in this family again. I'm gonna give you the tongue lashing. But instead, when this father sees his son's shadow crest the hill, he takes off sprinting, he takes off running, and he tackles him. This father begins kissing his son. And I want you to notice this. This father kisses his son before his son repents. This father does not wait for his son to repent. He doesn't kiss his son because his son repents. He kisses his son because he's his son. And this father this sees his son and the son opens up his laptop and begins making his PowerPoint presentation on how he's gonna pay his father back with the charts and the bar graphs and the percentages. And the father slams the thing shut and is like, be quiet, stop your story. In fact, get the best robe and bring it for my son. You wanna know who had the best robe? The father had the best robe. He's saying, get my son my robe. This father says, get my son my ring. This father says, get this son some sandals. What is he saying? I'm not waiting for you to clean up before I bring you in the house. I'm gonna put the best on you now and then bring you into the house. Bring him into the house and we're, we're about to get jiggy. We're about to have the biggest party you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, this father says, kill the fattened calf. These guys never ate meat because it was too expensive. And so when you killed the fattened calf, you know it was about to go down. And Jesus says in Luke 15, that is the way that God responds every time one last sinner repents. One lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one that who is lost, I have found. Because there's no place like home. And your father just wants you home because he's a father like no other. Let's bow our heads and let's talk to our father. God, right now I acknowledge there is a gigantic chasm of a difference between knowing about the love of God and knowing the love of God. And God, I pray today that we would have power together with all the saints to be able to grasp how high and wide, deep, long is the love of Christ. That we would know this love that's beyond knowledge. We would experience this love that's bigger than we could ever experience. And we would come home. It's better with our Father. God, forgive us for believing the lie of the enemy. It's the lie that we see from the very beginning that God's holding out on us. That was the initial lie of the enemy in the garden. God's holding out on you. God, today we throw off that lie and we believe that your path is the way of life. It's better in your house. God, we wanna live in your house all the days of our life. And guys, maybe today you're the prodigal. Maybe today, by the grace of God, you're coming to your senses and you're realizing that the Father's love is better than anything in this world. And today, God is calling you home. But he's a father who's different than any father you've ever experienced. He's not waiting at the door waiting to give you a tongue lashing, waiting to yell at you and judge you and scream at you and make you pay him back. He's not waiting to judge you because Jesus already took the judgment. In fact, now we just have a God who's waiting to throw a party for us that we came home. <laughs> and here's what we have to know. The front door of the house is Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, you'll be saved. You can't pay them back. <laughs> you couldn't do enough good to ever offset the bad. 
because the wages of sin is death, but the good news is Jesus Christ has purchased life for us, life eternal. And so now what it is, it's our job to repent, to stop going our way, and to believe the good news that Jesus Christ alone has already paid the price for our relationship with the Father. Now we can boldly come before the throne of grace. Mm. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here in the building, maybe you're online, and you would just simply say, hey, I've either, I've either been the prodigal and I'm just gone, or I've played with prodigal living. And today God is calling me to come home. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just lift your hand up, that's you today. This is just between you and the Lord. Yeah, come on. It's so important to do this instead of just kind of doing it in our heart. Sometimes we just have to say, yeah, that's me. And God's, God, by his, his love, is causing me to come to my senses. And it's time to come home. It's awesome, you can put your hands down. Let's, let's pray together, all right? Let's pray like this. Say, God, thank you for loving this world so much that you sent your son. Jesus Christ, thank you for paying the price for my sins, for our sins on the cross. You took the punishment for my rebellion in your hands and in your feet and you rose in victory. Jesus is alive. So right now, I respond by repentance. I turn from my path, from my prodigal way, and I come home. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone. God, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are my King, and I'm gonna live in the house of the Lord God all the days of my life. <laughs> I am now your child and you are now my father forevermore in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, let's join in with the angels. Let's rejoice, come on. Let's do this, let's stand up to our feet. Let's stand up to our feet and before we leave, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take another second and we're gonna worship our good God and Father in heaven today. Let's lift our voices to our Father, amen.